Hello, and welcome back to the Free to Brew Show. I am your host, of course, Greg Pulcher, and uh, off to another great episode this week. Uh, today, um, I have the great pleasure and honor of introducing uh, a economist by training, a public policy expert, and a best-selling author. Uh, er, best-selling author, and uh, is currently the president and chief community organizer of uh, Free the People. And uh, without further ado, uh, Matt Kibbe, thank you for joining the show. Hey, Greg. It's great to be with you. Oh, thank you. The pleasure is all mine. And um, now, for many of the listeners out out there, uh, they probably know you and respect you. Uh, however, uh, there are a few of my listeners on our on my end uh, that their main focus is in beer and not necessarily in policy. Uh, so please tell us a little bit about your background and your policy focus. Well, beer and policy, of course, uh, are, are fundamentally wedded concepts that, you know, good policy really um, involves drinking beer and you really wouldn't have good beer without good policy allowing for that sort of innovation. So, but my background is uh, I am a, a libertarian who has been involved in public policy and politics in Washington, D.C. for way too long. <laughs> in 2004, I founded an organization called Freedom Works, and the idea was to, to organize people based on the principles of, of individual freedom and, and fiscal responsibility and, and, and limiting the size and size and reach of the federal government. Um, we were we were famous or infamous, depending on who you asked, for, for helping organize some of the, the biggest uh, Tea Party protests, and particularly in 2009 and 2010. And today, I, I left Freedom Works a couple of years ago, and I'm I'm really interested in getting upstream of politics. I want to I want to tell stories about um, how awesome freedom is and, and how the, the freedom to, to create and cooperate and and come together in communities is is where the really good stuff in America comes from. So our new organization is called Free the People, and we are um, we're, we're producing a lot of video. We're engaging people on social media, and I'm, I'm particularly curious about the potential of, of talking to young people, the people that I call liberty curious. They're not necessarily down with this idea that, that the, the old system is going to force them to either be a Republican or a Democrat and that they gotta, they got to choose um, someone else's platform. They, they want to curate their own platform, and I think that's true with ideas the same way it's true yeah. with the never-ending quest to find the hoppiest triple IPA made in some young guy's garage. Now, and I, I assume with the whole storytelling with what you're trying to do there, uh, sort of goes hand in hand then with a lot of these short videos uh, that you have been creating. Uh, there's actually a, a few now out there on beer in particular, uh, but uh, would love to have you talk about the inspiration for Beer is Freedom and uh, also to find out and if you could explain a little bit uh, your Beer Freedom Index that you brought up on one of your short videos. Yes, yeah, so um, we've been we've been producing um, multiple series on different aspects of, of freedom and, and cooperation, and and one that has proven to be uh, probably the most popular series is called "Beer Is Freedom," 
And it started um, about a year ago, I think I was reading an article about the fact that you couldn't um, any longer produce beer in Venezuela, that that, that one that one producer that they had that was making sort of, sort of standard. It was Polaris. Yeah. Pilsner. Yeah. Yeah. Cerveceria Polar. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they couldn't get the ingredients to make beer anymore. And, and I was like, well, how does that happen? Um, how is that even possible? But in the process, I was able to talk about one of my personal passions, which is, which is craft beer and, and tell some of my personal stories on how I discovered good beer and, and, and how, um, the the American beer culture is a perfect metaphor for very disruptive bottom up entrepreneurship, and it's a it's a classic example of the clash between big government and and corporate and their corporate cronies versus the insistence um, from young entrepreneurs that were willing to take risks that all the good stuff comes when you let me not only make the product that I want to make, but but sell it directly to my customers and, and allow for something that could never, ever come from from big beer or big government. Now, before we get into, uh, I guess, the disruptive na- or the nature of beer, like you were just saying, um, what was it uh, that was happening in Venezuela? Uh, I, we've probably all read a little bit here and there. There's food shortages. Uh, there's riots. The People are protesting against the socialist government there, uh, even shortages in teepee. But as far as with uh, with shortages in beer, just the general nature of that country in general, uh, what are we seeing over there, and why is there such a shortage of all these products? Well, Venezuela, un- unfortunately, is this this awful experiment in socialism in practice. It's it's rooted in. A, a sort of hardline Marxism that that comes from Nicolas Maduro and before that Hugo Chavez, but they've they've done everything wrong in that country over the last 10, 15 years. Um, they nationalized farmlands, which which made it impossible to produce the ingredients needed to make beer in country. Um, they've spent so much money that they don't have buying the support of the Venezuelan people. That they've 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 ruined their currency. The, the Venezuelan currency is worthless, and if you want to import the products to make beer from other countries, you need American dollars. And the Venezuelan government does not allow companies access to those dollars because it would create exactly the kind of hyperinflation and and disastrous currency that they have now. So there's no there's no importing products and and there's even a philosophical reticence amongst the hardest core Marxists in the Venezuelan government to import things because they think that that capitalism and the selling of products for profit is is a fundamentally um, it it undermines their their attempt to get to real socialism and in the process you know you make a joke out of it. Um, socialism sucks so bad in Venezuela that you really need a cold beer to get through the hell. But but the lack of beer is is the least of their problems. They can't get food, and 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 mothers are trying to cross the border into Colombia to get to get food for their children. And of course, the Venezuelan government has walled that off. And and you're seeing um, particularly moms and and women marching in the streets as we record this. 
because it's it, it turns out that for all of the, the gauzy promises of socialism in practice, it's a, it's just a freaking disaster. And I mean, with uh, or, or with forms of uh, socialism that have been tried here, I I, I would think that prohibition uh, during uh, the twenties, uh, the thirties, uh, that was necessarily a form of socialism where you have a overarching government that is attempting to coerce and manipulate uh, the morals of a society. Are are we seeing a modern day uh, pro a prohibition basically in Venezuela because you've got uh, from what I've read, there's bootleggers out there from people that are trying to bring in product from elsewhere. There's uh, there's bootlegging distributors uh, that are facing years of jail time and huge fines if they're caught even selling this beer. And I would suppose some people that are just trying to eke by uh, selling um, selling this as their form of uh, of money or monetary supply. Uh, similar to that that happened during uh, prohibition and during the founding of this nation, are, are 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 we seeing this in Venezuela as sort of a a black market or, in another sense, a free market that's percolating up? Yeah, absolutely. And there's all sorts of uh, illegal beer that is made in Venezuela. There was a a booming black market craft beer industry in Venezuela before. Things got so bad. I suspect today that it's it's just become virtually impossible to get the ingredients to to make to make beer, whether it's legal or not. But you know, prohibition itself is a is a perfect metaphor for uh, everything. I think that that too ambitious, top down, big government tries to do. You're prohibiting people from behaving in a certain way. You're prohibiting them from buying and consuming a product. And as it turns out. People are going to do what they want to do, regardless of whether or not um, there's there's a prohibition of alcohol at the federal level, and it creates all sorts of perverse outcomes. It it creates uh, bootlegging and and mobsters and violent gangs and and inferior products and all that stuff. But pe- people will do what they want and need to do, regardless of the government's grand designs for them. And then that's certainly certainly true in Venezuela, where you know there's there's workarounds for all this stuff. There's there's now an emerging um, use of Bitcoin as an alternative to the government funny money because you you can't buy anything um, with that money. There's there's all sorts of smuggling across the border, even though the the government has tried to to seal the borders from from stuff coming in. But you know, free people are going to be free. And the process of trying to stop them from from that is is always a disaster, and I think I think even Maduro will ultimately realize that. And, uh, and very well, well, so, and uh, I mean, we'll see uh, how 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 that exactly will turn out here. And uh, wishing the people there all the best. But uh, you brought up an interesting point on this that uh, Bitcoin is being used. Uh, as a disruptive force in Venezuela, that uh, even though these people are controlled, they're trying to be told how to act, what to buy, where to work, and everything. But at the end of the day, they're doing work workarounds when that doesn't work, and Bitcoin is one of them. Uh, and as far as with that, that's an interesting, I guess, cor- correlation there with uh, how liquor and whiskey wh- or was treated 
uh, during the Whiskey Rebellion, uh, during uh, the, or the early years of our nation, and liquor was a form of trade. It was a form of uh, monetary trade out there that uh, circumvented a lot of the notes that they couldn't find out in the West. Uh, so with the Bitcoin that's happening there, um, how is uh, this technology ideas um, just with like the ride sharing economy or not ride share, ride sharing economy, but with the sharing economy with Bitcoin, how are these technologies uh, disrupting everything even more? And does that correlate with a lot of the beer markets, liquor markets that we see out there? Well, if you look at the, the emergence of, of the current craft industry there's you know there's microbreweries and nanobreweries and there's all sorts of innovation happening in in, in small warehouse um, shacks and garages and all that stuff and and if you think about the the disintermediation of big beer and the disruptive nature of, of all of these small producers it couldn't have possibly happened before the internet and social media because the the cost of knowing about alternatives was just too high and you know budweiser's running ads all the time with buds mckenzie and and you are told over and over again that if you like beer you like budweiser um what but the way that that your favorite uh, microbrewery distributes its products is 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 quite often through facebook they announce the release um my favorite uh brewery these days is is a brewery in richmond called the vale brewing and they they release every tuesday and and they tell their facebook friends what what they're doing and people get in line and they pick up a case of beer and it's it's not only a a, a workaround with the three-tiered distribution system it's also a, a, a robust sense of community and sharing and trading and, and all this stuff that, that free people do that, that couldn't have happened before technology. And I, I think the same thing is true with uh, um, the sharing apps for, for Airbnb and Uber and Lyft and, and that kind of thing. But, of course, Bitcoin is the next generation. Um, for all of the awesomeness of, of Uber, it's still a top-down system. For all of the awesomeness of of Facebook, it's still a top-down system, and you have the tyranny of the algorithm, and somebody um, in co corporate headquarters is, is controlling your conversation. Um, real peer-to-peer -peer technology is not controlled from the top down, and, and that's the, the genius of Bitcoin and, and the blockchain technology that allows for it, is that it's utterly uncontrollable by corporations or big government or, or anybody else. And you, at, in that point, you're going to see just an explosion of innovation um, and, and think about direct distribution of, of micro, micro brews and, and liquor and all that stuff. All of the government planners and regulators, um, they're, they're, they're going to have fits and starts because people are going to do whatever the hell they want. Mm -hmm. And I think that sounds awesome. And uh, while you were talking about that, it uh, with the disruptive nature of these uh, individuals who are trying to figure out new ways around it with Facebook, uh, creating this huge amount of value in their community. And uh, with a lot of these breweries that are popping up and distilleries, we're seeing them go into these uh, blighted areas, downtown areas that um, have nothing going for it. Uh, most of the stores are closed. They're um, abandoned. But you get these breweries that move in and suddenly – 
the downtown just turns around. Uh, people are drawn down there, which brings in more business elsewhere, uh, more other types of entertainment or more people living down there. And you sort of uplift these blighted communities that are either in larger cities or even these tiny towns. And uh, the other day I was rewatching a episode of uh, Silicon Valley. And uh, there's that point in the, um, in, in the show where the neighbor's trying to kick out uh, the or these guys that are innovating in their garage uh, because there's a statute or a law that says you can't have a business in that house. And uh, through whatever means, they figure out a way to uh, basically get them to shut down that complaint so that they can stay there. And uh, there's a line at the end where the uh, owner of the house, while he was going over there to tell him this is not what you're going to do, he's telling like, we the reason why this house is that this na- this neighborhood is not worth the way it is and this block is not worth the way it is is not because of people like you who are trying to kick us out it's because of people like me who are trying to come in and innovate and create and bringing in all this demand and innovation we're the reason and you're trying to kick us out and i see that as a huge uh, correlation then with the issues that we're seeing in craft beer in that the small microbrewer where microbreweries are growing up getting bigger they're reaching this point where the state's basically saying hey thanks for playing you did some really good work over here making everything worth more but that's it we don't really need you and 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 and, and need you any anymore and you can't grow um, are you seeing other than the three-tiered system of distribution what other lasting effects are we seeing where these people are creating, innovating, expanding, and then met with a huge government no at the end of the day? You know, people forget that it wasn't until 1979 when uh, Jimmy Carter legalized homebrewing that you were actually allowed to make beer in your own home for your own consumption. And that, of course, was one of the, one of the triggers for the current, current craft beer revolution. And the other great um, innovation, uh, political innovation, was was legalizing your ability to sell your beer products directly to customers in your in your little brew pub. And without without those without legalizing freedom in those ways, we wouldn't have what we have today. But I I view a lot of this. Uh, you know, they use zoning and they use uh, obscure regulations, but a lot of the attacks on craft brew today, it's not so much nimbyism, but it's um, what I call big beer, that the distributors and the, the big guys that have gamed the system at the state capitol using their clout to screw over the competition. And, and I think that's one of the reasons I'm talking about beer so much is that it's not only a metaphor for disruptive entrepreneurship, it's also a, a teachable moment on why you never want state governments or local governments to have that much power because the rules are written by insiders to the benefit of insiders. And, and of course, government always takes its piece. Um, you know, they're, they're going to raise taxes. They're going to um, charge higher rents and all the things that they do. But, you know, if, if, if we have any naive views about, about good government watching how uh, the regulation of beer and, and beer distribution is corrupted by um, the fat cats, hopefully disabuses um, young progressives of that, of that illusion. It's, it's just not how government works. And uh, with that large um, or a big piece uh, that I haven't had an opportunity to talk about on this show much uh, is uh, 
the government involvement in the drug war. I mean, you could say that pro the prohibition uh, was one of, if not the uh, key thing that started uh, the drug war altogether with the uh, policing power, paternalistic uh, um, policy, um, that's top-down policy from the feds and from the state. Uh, but now in today, uh, we have access to beer and slowly but surely a lot of these states that are um, lagging behind and uh, keeping these onerous laws, uh, they're starting to reform these. Uh, where or how is lessons from prohibition, how can we take those and learn about that and how we're treating other uh, drugs such as marijuana today? Yeah, you would think you would think we would have learned our lesson and all of the unintended consequences, disastrous consequences that came out of alcohol prohibition, uh, re-entrenching re- re- big business, um, creating inferior and even dangerous products on the black market, um, encouraging violent behavior and, and mob distribution outside of the, the legal and tax system. All of that happens um, with the, the the creation and distribution of marijuana, and, and you're seeing in states where that have that have legalized marijuana, like Colorado. Um, you know, generally speaking, that the process has been pretty smooth, pretty pretty safe, and that the net result is is a very good thing. And it, it's gotten rid of uh, illegal activity. It's created huge new revenue for, for the state of Colorado. Um, you know, there's still some cronyism in there as well. But, you know, someone like Jeff Sessions, when, you know, he, he's, he's, he's reviving some of these 1950 views that, that you know, bad, only bad people smoke marijuana and that there's no <laughs> um, plausible um, benefit to something like medical cannabis, it, it just seems completely outdated. And, and for the same reasons that social technology has liberated beer, I think social, social media and the distribution of information and knowledge that has been so democratized also liberates people to give them a voice in this process. I mean, I'm, I'm a grassroots organizer, and, and I really think that the, the, the way that, that you legalize freedom is by, is by showing up and engaging in that debate. And I wanted to ask you this in particular, um, especially with uh, the legalization of marijuana. Uh, uh, there's a an, an argument that I really dislike that I never use, but more often than not, you're going to hear uh, Democrats and Republicans both will tout this, and Libertarians as well. Uh, they'll say, well, it, it, or let, or let's legalize it, and then we can tax it, and we'll get all this revenue that's coming in. Is that a very like? Is that a very good argument? And is that just sort of trying to appease a few people that are now at the top that are standing in the way? But I, I just wanted your opinion on having that type of an argument where, well, at least we can just tax it and get the revenue. Yeah, it's not. It's certainly not a moral argument. Um, <laughs> it's it's more like a, a political bribe to the legislators that you're trying to convince mm-hmm. um, to open up the marketplace and. And frankly, the only downsides in Washington and Colorado really revolve around um, who's who's allowed to produce and distribute marijuana and how that that revenue is distributed. Um, but you know, as, as a practical um, as a practical argument at the state house, 
um, particularly with legislators who otherwise really don't care about your issue. It, it may it may be a reality that you you, you have to point to um, how much revenue legalized marijuana is generated for the state of Colorado. Particularly, you know, they have all these unfunded liabilities with with Medicaid and now Obamacare and 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 road trust funds and all the mm-hmm. things that blow up state budgets. I'm sure it's the same in North Carolina as it is everywhere else. Um, one the one thing you're always looking for is how to pay for things, and and state governments aren't very good at cutting budgets. So it's it's a practical argument, but yeah, it, it, every time someone says it, it, it sort of makes me cringe a little bit. But it it may be a strategic way to to, to legalize freedom, and, and then then we're going to have to fight the fight about making sure that, that the taxes don't become so onerous that the black market comes back. Exactly. I think in Colorado they had a little bit of that problem too with the locals. Was a tax the uh, recreational so much it was still worth it to go get your medicinal license and it was still worth it to just go find a guy somewhere else. So, but, but they're, but they're learning, they're figuring out. And I think you make a valid argument there is that legalize it first, let's figure out. And then from there, hopefully no, or then we deal with the taxes and everything. Uh, but, uh, but with that, like, do you, I guess in, in the long run, uh, to be in this business, you've got to be optimistic. And uh, so there's, we're always hopeful out there for what the future will hold. But near run in the next four years, uh, where do you see, I guess, uh, the war on drugs on, uh, or the issues with uh, alcohol, with beer uh, and marijuana? Where do you see this going in the next four years, short term? So I, I tend to be wildly optimistic about the future, and I don't. I don't, you, you don't necessarily get that looking at what's going on in Washington, D.C., and maybe you don't even get it looking at state capitals. But, but I look at the, the power of, of, I call it democratized power, that comes from, from knowing what's going on and, and being able to self-organize on all of these issues. And I think, I think we're creating a powerful grassroots constituency that is willing to defend craft beer and the, the right to drink, um, drink locally and the, and the right to drink an IPA that is so freaking hoppy that it melts your face. <laughs> I, th- I think, I think that's in the declaration as one of those inalienable rights. I'm, I, I believe I'm so. I think that was one of the, uh, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> but, or, or the no, grievances. It, it was one of the grievances yeah. against the King. I believe it's, it's very hard to take freedom away from people once, once they've tasted it, no, no pun intended. And, and I, I think, I think everything, the reason things feel so uncomfortable and so disruptive right now is that um, we, we all have more power and we're, we're exercising that power. Um, who would have imagined a couple of years ago, I have books on my shelf of industrial organization where, and they use the taxi monopoly and the, the medallions in New York city as a classic public choice example of, of, of concentrated benefits and dispersed costs and how you can never break up this collusion between insiders and big government, mm-hmm. along comes technology and boom, it's gone. And yes, the taxi monopolies are coming back and the empire is striking back and, and we're going to have to fight those fights. But we're, we're going to, you know, 
free people with with these new tools, we're going to we're going to solve all sorts of problems, whether or not the government wants us to or not. And that's what we need to focus on. Uh, with that, like because uh, there are states out there that uh, I mean, free people will find a way and uh, there's states out there that uh, they are, like you said, with the medallion, like it was very entrenched, but there was a way to disrupt it that no one knew about until now. And but there are some states that are are lagging, that are really um, slow to the game in this sense. Are do you think we're going going to see a lot of human flight uh, towards the states that get this right, that are focused more on liberty and freedom as opposed to controlling what people can do? You know, there, there may be flights, but, but I suspect what's really going to happen is that you, you were mentioning the economic revitalization and redevelopment of, of warehouse districts and, and cities that, that had fallen into disrepair because of the abuse of big government. Um, I, th- I think a lot of people are going to be um, looking on social media and saying, you know, they, they just revitalized that part of Richmond, Virginia, by by allowing for not only the Vale Brewing, but, but the Answer and all these other cool disruptive breweries that are emerging in that part of Richmond. Um, we need to do that here. This is an economic redevelopment tool, and it's it's based on freedom, and it's based on commerce, and it's based on community, and and they they need to fight for it in their own state. And I think I think that's really what's going to happen because um, you know flight is the last option. Mm-hmm. Um, even when you're moving from one state to another, there's a ro- lot of reasons why you wouldn't do that that have nothing to do with economics. So I think people are going to fight for their own communities, and I think that's that's an encouraging dynamic as well. That's wonderful. Well, uh, about out of, out of time, but I want to ask you a few um, final questions here. Um, I, I don't like to ask people their favorite beer because I think that's not fair to all the other wonderful beers out there. Uh, but this time of year, uh, what genre of beer do you really enjoy with the spring and the summer now? So I, um, my, my two favorite styles of beer are, are sort of polar op- opposites. I love the, the, the fruity resume unfiltered IPAs and double IPAs and triple IPAs that are, that are all the rage right now. Um, they're very drinkable despite their higher alcohol content. And on the, on the opposite is the, the sours and, and, and the gozes that are, that are being produced. I mean, I suppose those are summer beers, but nine times out of 10, I'm, I'm going for the double IPA and, <laughs> and, and that might, that might not, not always be the rational choice from an alcohol perspective, but it just tastes so good. <laughs> to each their own. Uh, and, uh, and at the very beginning, you had mentioned that it's your that we're after uh, this group of millennials out there that 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 understand that freedom is better, but just may not quite know like the ideas or the philosophy or the morality behind it. But they do know that this is the right way to go. Uh, do you have a, a a personal favorite book or podcast that you like to recommend for those types of people, or potentially just? What spurred on your quest towards liberty, and maybe that could be re- be replicated elsewhere? So it's funny. I I discovered liberty when I was 13 years old, reading the liner notes on a, a Rush rock album, um, an album called 2112 that was dedicated to the genius of Ayn Rand. I eventually <laughs> found Anthem, which is a is a short little novel. Yeah, holds up r- really well today. 
um, and and my you know so my gateway drug so to speak was music and then a really cool short novel. Um, I think I think I think pop culture is the future for for, for telling liberty and to be shamelessly self promotional. I tried to translate liberty into 140 characters or less when I wrote a book called Don't Hurt People and Don't Take Their Stuff, which which really was intended. Um, to explain libertarianism to the liberty curious who, who didn't want to slog through 700 pages of Adam Smith's theory of moral sentiments. Mm-hmm. So, so you might check out Don't Hurt People and Don't Take Their Stuff. Wonderful. Well, Matt, uh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to chat with you today. And uh, final words, uh, how can the listener find out more about what you're doing and uh, what Free the People is doing? Uh, find us find us on Facebook. Um, you can find me and you can find Free the People there. Uh, freethepeople.org is our is our website. And, and check out the video series. If you just Google Beer is Freedom, um, they're probably going to pop up and, and see, see what we've been talking about today. Wonderful. All right. And I will, and, and or Matt, thank you so much. Uh, the pleasure has been all mine. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. All right, and that will be the end of the Free to Brew show. Again, I'm your host, Greg Pulsher. You can always uh, check this stuff out and find links to this on pulseofliberty.com where we'll have the show notes page and all the links will be attached there. Also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Free to Brew NC. And uh, like we always say here, without beer, there can be no liberty. And without liberty, there can be no beer. <laughs>